When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact. And my name is Tamira Ramsey, and I am the DEI Associate Consultant here at Uplifting Impact. And we are here today joined with Alexandria Butler, affectionately known as Lexi B. Hello, Alexandria. how are you? We are very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Great that you're, now that you're here and that you're joining yes, us. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Excited to be here. So Alexandra Butler, a.k.a. Lexi B., is a self-proclaimed freedom fighter and leader in building executive leadership and workplace equity in the tech industry. After several years working at some of the biggest tech companies in Silicon Valley, Butler founded Sister Circle, Black Women in Tech. Today, this community has over 14,000 members in a global online community sharing their insights, challenges, tips, and opportunities. Butler is a dynamic storyteller, motivational speaker, media maven, and mentor to young people. Butler leads with her engaging personality, giant ambition, and creative mind, laser-focused on moving people forward. In late 2022, she started a weekly live show on LinkedIn audio called Live Coffee Chats with Lexi B, dedicated to the transformative lessons that leaders have learned that have shaped their success. Welcome, 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 Lexi B. Um, like I just mentioned, we're so excited to have you here on our podcast today. Uh, <laughs> and I know we just shared a whole bunch of information about Lexi B, and we're going to have an opportunity to really talk about the work that she's doing within her community and in the tech space. But before we get there, we were wondering if you could share a fun fact about yourself with us and with our audience to get to know who Lexi B is. Yes. So my fun fact today is that a long, long time ago, because Black don't crack, but a very, very, very long time ago, I wanted to be in the fashion industry. So the summer before my senior year in college, I did a very intense internship at Ralph Lauren Couture. I was a PR intern, which meant that, um, so every fashion house, they have these closets. Now these are huge closets, probably as big as small houses that have all of the clothes from the new collection. And so my job was to make sure that whenever someone came to rent out a piece of clothing, borrow, whether it's for a photo shoot or whether it's for an event, that the clothes got back because these were like, you know, 40, $50,000 pieces of clothing. And the summer that I was there, <laughs> Um, I got to take LeBron James, his Ralph Lauren, you know, couture suit for the ESPYs. He said hi to me, but you know, I'm an intern. So I just like put the suit down <laughs> I got to hang out at a photo shoot with Halle Berry. And my job was to guard the jewels. Right. Um, I got to go get dirty clothes from Janelle Monet because she had just finished shooting in this beautiful Ralph Lauren suit. So we had to go take it to the cleaners. So it was a great summer, a hard summer. The Devil Wars Prada is real, but I got to meet all these like fantastic celebrities while holding garnet bags. Yeah. So what initially attracted you to that particular industry and that work? 
I've always loved fashion. I've always loved yeah. color. So when I went to college, I was like, I want to work in fashion. You know, you see all these movies and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So I didn't know anyone who worked in fashion. And then when I did it, I never wanted to do it again. But <laughs> I thought that, oh, I can like play with clothes and, you know, hang out with celebrities. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. At 17, 18 years old, that sounded great. And so when I went to college, I was like, that's what I want to do. And to, to have the opportunity to do that for a summer is number one, a blessing. Not many kids get to do that, you know, like to be in elevators with Ralph Lauren um, or with like Oscar de la Renta because we were all in the same building. It's wild, right? Um, in the stories that I have. The flip side, I realized it wasn't for me full time. I want to be invited to the fashion show. I want to drink the champagne. I do not want to work in it. <laughs> <laughs> so what transitioned like was there an easy smooth transition you mentioned like you were in fashion it was a passion of yours and then you decided it wasn't for you what was the career path between then summer intern Ralph Lauren to now what does that career path look like for Lexi B very simple I came back to college and you know my advisors the career center everyone who knew me so like so we're going to do fashion right we're going to graduate in nine months and we're going to do this and I was like absolutely not it was one of those, um, I tell people I had a, I had a 22 year old life crisis because yeah. my whole college career was fashion, fashion, fashion. And now it's September, October of my senior year. And I'm like, there's no way in heaven, hell or purgatory that I'm doing this. So then the question is, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. So what happened was I went to a school that we were on the quarter system. So this is right before spring break. This is end of winter quarter. And I ran into this phenomenal black woman who's a computer scientist. She's an engineer. She said, you're younger than me. And she asked me, of course, in the middle of the quad, while it was like a movie, while no one's around, the, of course, for the most horrible question you could ask anybody, which is, what are you doing when you graduate? <laughs> the angst unloads, yes. And I just started crying in the middle of the quad. Wow. Because I didn't have anything. And then to make it worse, like everyone expected me to have something. I'm a Capricorn. I have a plan. I have six-year plans. I have five-year <laughs> plans. Everything is planned out. So of all people, for me not to have anything, it's a big deal in these social streets, Okay. And so she, of course, was not prepared for all of that. And she said, you know, I think you should talk to this one person. And she worked at a company called NetApp, which is a soft, which is a hardware company, a very famous hardware company in the Silicon Valley. And she said, I interned there last summer and my boss is looking for a new college grad hire. And I said, I'm not a computer scientist. And she said, it's fine. You don't need to be. Just go talk to her. And so I emailed this woman really like honest to God. We, we became cool because of our love for shoes went to the interview, had no idea what I was interviewing for. It's an engineering program manager position. I don't know what that is. So I don't even know how to prepare. So I was like, I'm gonna just come with some cute shoes and we gonna make it work, right? <laughs> um, and I distinctly remember this, this black man walked in the room. He was the director of the department. Hmm. And he sat me down and he was like, you have no clue what you're doing, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> He said, so this is what I need you to do. And he just sat and talked to me. It wasn't like he mm. gave me a cheat sheet, but he was just like, tell me about your, tell me about what you did in college. What do you like to do? What are the best qualities in your internships? What were you a superstar at? And then at the end of the interview, he took his notes and he looked at me and he said, that's the kind of stuff you need to say for this whole interview group. And I was like, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how it all started. Yeah. And that's awesome too, because I think it coincides really well with what you ended up doing as well as yeah. seeing these moments of networking, these moments of coaching that people from majority member populations take for granted. 
Yeah. And people who are from underrepresented communities, especially Black communities, are often statistically much more likely to be first-generation college student, first-generation professionals, and not know. And not to say that other folks from other populations don't know. It's just well, that they don't they know either. Know. <laughs> Nobody they knows. They have people that know it. Everyone's out here winging it. No one. Yeah, first of all, everybody's out here winging it. Don't get it twisted. The racism racism lies when you have an 18-year-old who's winging it because they're 18, right, who is not Black or not a person of color or from a marginalized group of identity. And therefore, their parents know they're winging it, but their parents have friends that can coach them to get there. Mm -hmm. Everybody. And And that coaching is like omnipresent. Like you're hanging out for Labor Day weekends. Yes. At the cabin. And they're telling you things that you don't even recognize. Oh, this is mentoring. Yes. Uncle Uncle Tony, who may or might not be like the executive VP of Apple, is like, go get me a beer and let's go down to the docks and talk about it. Right. Say this, not this. Right. And if it wasn't for this Black man, um, his name is Kirk Law. He's great. He's a huge um, tech executive. He's great. He he saw something in me. So I want to make it clear, it wasn't that he was like, you're Black, I'm Black, but it was clear that he was like, I don't think she realizes the tools that are already in her toolkit. So let's talk about those tools. And as I leave, I'm going to tell her, keep talking about those tools. Yeah, and I think that that talks a lot, of, it speaks to the work that you're doing with mentoring young people, because oftentimes, especially Black people, people of color, and especially Black women, you know, when we're looking at a job application or we're looking at an intern application, we're like, do I check this box? Do I check this? Do I check this? Do I check that? Do I check that? And we're making sure that all the boxes are checked before we even submit an application. And so I think it's important that there are people who are going into these communities and speaking to young people, letting them know, like, you already have these tools inside of you. You already have the skills, even if you don't see it written down explicitly on this application. And you just have to learn how to sell yourself and learn how to talk about the work that you're doing and learn how to let people know that I add value to the work that you're doing. And you would be lucky to have me and not the opposite way around. I mean, y'all, the work's not that hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, Black don't crack. I'm very old. The work's not that hard. (laughs) And it's not that hard, at least in, you know what I mean? It's being in rooms and being okay with chaos because tech is always changing. Being okay with, oh, there's no solution. Let me go, let me go on this corner and like play around with some stuff for two days and see if it works. It's being okay with slapping stuff on a wall and someone saying like, yo, Justin, that's whack. And then you go, okay, well, why is it whack? And then y'all figure it out. And then two days later, you have a masterpiece, right? It's really understanding that it's not the what, it's the how, right? Mm -hmm. It's understanding that I learned during that job interview, that was when, you know, this is 22, this is what, March of 2011, that you don't need to have all the skills on the job description, okay? Mm -hmm. My job description for my new college grad application literally said requirements, master strongly preferred. (laughs) <laughs> a job or a new college, I, I swear to you, right? And so I remember when this friend of mine in the quad is like, you should apply. And then she sends me the job description. I remember emailing her back and saying, hey, um, you know that bold at the bottom? Like, I don't even have an undergrad degree. And she said, just apply. And I was like, okay. And so I applied because I didn't overthink it because I was like, I might as well throw something up there because guess what? I don't have anything right now. And so I was the kid in the new college grad class where Mm -hmm. I got a job that the job description said master's degree preferred. Right. 
And I had graduated from undergrad three weeks before I, you know, before I started this job. So we got to keep that narrative. So I really thank you for saying that. I don't know why people don't listen. Apply for the job. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the way that people from underrepresented groups are socialized is you have to work three times as hard as a majority member populations to get in. You do. You owe it to every ancestor that ever sacrificed anything to do the best that you can. And you have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. If you do not have a perfect alignment for the job description, don't apply. Mm -hmm. If you don't do the job perfectly, it's not even worth your time. So how does that, and I love this idea of you don't have to have that burden on you. Like just apply, it's gonna get messy, figure it out like everybody else. How does that inform your work that you do now with like live coffee chats and mentoring other people in similar positions as you? Do you find yourself often being, like you said, the black woman who is a computer scientist who sat you down? Do you find now the roles are reversed in a strange way? 100%. Are you making people cry in the quad? (laughs) (laughs) If it gets you to your liberation, I will. Bring the the tissue. tissue. (laughs) If if we have to cry to get you over Canada, I'm I'm here for it. I just want to get you there, okay? In my Harriet Tubman voice. Yes, I am that person, but I'm also the person who does still cry. I'm also the person who still doesn't know because I am a human and life life be life, okay? Life be life. (laughs) And there are definitely times when I have imposter syndrome, there are definitely times when it's not this necessarily this anxiety stricken, but it is the unknown and the unknown is scary. So to have people in your life who can help guide you through that unknown and just let you know, like, you got this. I I don't know either, but you got this, sis. (laughs) Right. And guess what? If it doesn't work out, you're still going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, Or it wasn't meant for you, right? Like it wasn't meant for you. It wasn't meant for you. Um, I always tell people that a rejection is an ancestral blessing Mm -hmm. and I'm totally okay with that. That does not mean that it's not going to hurt. I think we have to really decouple the conversation with this hurts and this is needed. Yeah. And many times human race, regardless of what you look like, we couple those things together. This hurts. Therefore, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And what I've been learning as I've gotten older is that it's okay for something to hurt and also be the best thing for you. Every rejection that I have received, and I have received so many, right? It was a blessing because the thing that it said yes to was the thing that was like, okay, I get it. I get it, Patriot State, Harriet Tubman. It has a name on it. Right, this makes sense now. It didn't make sense six months ago, and I was mad. It didn't make sense, but it makes sense, and we're cool with it, right? So we really have to decouple this, like, this hurts, so therefore, because of because it hurts me, that this is bad. Sometimes the pain is the bridge that gets you through, right? Yeah. And I think it's especially difficult, like you talked about Black populations, people who often get into those colleges, get into the grad programs, get those jobs. They have always been socialized, even from the Black community. You are among the talented 10th. We always expect you to succeed. We don't expect failure from you and we can't accept failure from you ever. And that becomes a whole other burden that people heap upon themselves. So they subconsciously over time avoid things where they will grow because growing means feeling the burn, means stretching, means pain, means confusion, means cognitive dissonance. And oh my goodness, I might not be as perfect as the patron saint of Harriet Tubman made me think I was, I might have to fail. And you've done a lot of a lot of work about this pain, 
especially in the time of economic downturn and people are anticipating uncertainty with even their job security. How does that coincide with anticipating pain, being a part of growth, getting over this compulsion to be perfect and have the perfect professional life when it comes to a time of anticipating layoffs and economic insecurity and job insecurity? I had my first layoff um, at 20, how old was I? 26. I got laid off, y'all. Ouch. And when I tell you it was the most liberating thing and non-liberating thing, fun fact, I was walking into work to give my two weeks notice. <laughs> at my, and this was at my first job. At my first job, there was this group of Black women. I called them my fairy godmothers, right? I was 22. They were in probably maybe the youngest of them was in their late 40s. We're talking 50s, early 60s, like retirement age. And I didn't have anyone to hold on to. I was in the engineering department. They were in like HR and finance. So they also knew that there's some things they can't help me with, right? But they but they really shielded me. They became my safe space. I remember I could go to them anytime and I could be crying and they would stop a meeting and come get me. I remember they would see me in the hallway and they'd be like, why is, why is your shirt look like that? Right? Oh, you forgot to iron this morning, right? And you know, some people <laughs> mad at that, but it was like, oh, I have these aunties at work that are watching out for me, right? It would, they would do things where they would, you know, because of their jobs, they would know a lot of the executive leadership, regardless of color. And they would do things like, hey, CTO, you need to have coffee with our, one of our new college grads. Elevate. Right? Elevate they elevated me. And I remember when that happened, um, it was like the week before the layoff. And one of them, I was telling her about my job. And I was like, I cannot wait to tell them on Friday. And she looked at me and she pulled me aside and she was like, have you heard about these rumors about layoffs? And I was like, yeah, but whatever. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell Friday. And she was like, I really need you to not tell them until next week. For the record, on record, she she did not know the layoff list. She did not work in finance, but she was a 55-year-old Black woman who's worked in corporate. Exactly. If it was not for her, where she was like, if you tell them before next Wednesday, I will drag you through the <laughs> Like, Felicia put the fear of God in my life, which is why I didn't say anything, right? And it's things like that, right? So you know, short story long, preparing for a layoff. I was not prepared for that layoff. If it was not because I had a job lined up, I don't know what I would have done. Okay. I was living paycheck to pay. I'm not gonna lie. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. Mm -hmm. Me and my little cute 26 year old behind thinking that I could afford a one bedroom apartment without a roommate, even though I couldn't. Who had right. already interned for Ralph Lauren. <laughs> you had seen the shoes. There was no going back. The closet was fabulous. Okay. Okay. There were many weeks where it was peanut butter and jelly, but the shoes were great. Okay. I thought it was for some nice shoes. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to know all that. Okay. And I was not prepared. And I remember I started my new job. And about three months later, after I got into it, I, I took it upon myself to go find a financial advisor because I, in my head, I was like, look, the ancestors and black Jesus just blessed me because I was not prepared to get cut. So I will never be in that position again. 
Mm. And when I started having conversations with this financial advisor in downtown San Francisco, my view about my career changed, right? I always tell people, get a therapist and get a financial advisor because a financial advisor is also therapy because they'll be asking you questions <laughs> where you're like, oh, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and in downtown San Francisco, his name is Davey and he's brilliant. I, he, he really therapied me and started asking me questions that no one has asked me about my career. Until that time, everyone was asking me questions about my career. Like, so what project do you want to work on? And what passion of labor do you want to do? This man in San Francisco, I remember I went to his office and, you know, pre-COVID, big whiteboard in a conference room. We walked into the conference room and I made a joke like, do we need a 20-person conference room for two of us? And he laughed and he said, no, we need this whiteboard though. And I said, okay. And he told me to sit down and he started sketching. And he was like, how much money do you want in the bank in 10 years? IDK, I buy shoes. I don't know, right? <laughs> and then he said, okay, bet. Where do you want to live? I don't know. Okay, bet. And I remember he said this. He was like, Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> See, I told him I watched Sex in the City. And he was, okay, great. Because his wife watched Sex in the City. So he was like, I don't like it, but I know it. I said, okay, Davey. And he said, so are we living Carrie Bradshaw life before big? Are we leaving Carrie Bradshaw life with big? And I was like, I prefer the latter. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, there are some years where Carrie couldn't pay her rent. I said, I prefer the with big. <laughs> and I said, so are we saying that I need to go get a big? And he's like, not necessarily, but you need to really understand what kind of lifestyle you want to live before you ask me how to save and invest your money. Yeah. Right. And he was the one who was like, do you want to take three international vacations a year? Do you not care about vacationing? Is vacationing to you going down the street to the Piggly Wiggly and like getting a burger? I don't know. And then I was like, I would, I, and I said, I said in a perfect world, I would love to be able to take three international vacations a year. Great. Are we going to hostels and like sleeping on benches and calling it like, you know, cool? Or like, are we Beyonce in the yacht? Like you, what, what, what are we doing in here? <laughs> are we Ritz Carlton in Paris? Or are we, you know, sleeping in a hostel with six people? And he said, this is no judgment, but that's a different budget. And so we answered those questions. And he was like, I know you don't know where you want to live yet, but again, are we penthousing in New York? Or are we getting a two bed, you know, one and a half bath, cute little bungalow in Tennessee? You need to understand that because those are two different budgets. Mm -hmm right? Like what, you know, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? If you're even thinking about kids, the question is, is that, are you okay with them going to public school? Do you want them to go to private school? Do you want them, you know, to, to take an Hermes bag to, to school in seventh grade? And he, in the point, he asked me all these questions. And I was in that conference room for like three weeks straight, every day after, after work. The point that he was making is that this has nothing to do with my career. Mm -hmm. Right. And I apologize. Duke Ellington, my dog is barking. This has nothing to do with <laughs> Duke's got to sing. It's the first day of Black Yes, History. you know, it's Black History Month. So Duke says hi as <laughs> Let well. Let him sing. He says, Duke says hi as well. He 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 know he knows his ancestors. Um <laughs> and so the point that Davey was making to me was that my career has nothing to do with the labor that I'm doing. He was like, you can be in finance, you can be in fashion, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be a preacher. He was like, I don't care what you do to make this money. Why are you making it? And no one ever asked me that before. Mm -hmm. 
And that was this huge reckoning. This is like the summer of what, 2016, where my mind was blown. And from then on, that's how I started treating my career. And so mm. to bring it back to the layoff conversation, I started working towards having tools in my kit that when I was laid off, if I ever got laid off again, I'd be okay. AKA savings, right? Investments, living below my means. So if I get laid off, layoffs are hard regardless. And we can discuss that about like the layers of emotional and mental and psychological unsafety a layoff brings. I promise you it's one, but layoff oppression is a spectrum. It's one thing to get laid off and say, I cannot pay my bills next month. That is a different conversation of a layoff than saying, I am mentally and emotionally and psychologically drained and what just happened and why don't these people like me, but my bills are going to be good for a year. Right. That's good. That's good stuff. It's different. It's different. Now, oppression, again, it's a spectrum, right? right? I'm not saying that you're not oppressed, but it's, it's a different conversation. And I never want it to be. I was like, look, I live in white supremacist America. I'm always going to be oppressed. Okay. I don't want to be that person if I can help it. So it was like, how do I work with this financial advisor to figure out while I'm good, I was working at Airbnb, the hottest at the time, the hottest startup in the world. There was not going to be a layoff, right? They gave me a little more coins. So like I actively decided when I got more coins, I was like, oh, so Davey, I shouldn't like go get a bigger apartment. I should probably just <laughs> keep the same one or keep the same budget. And he was like, yes, look at you adulting. I was like, oh, okay, okay, right? Um, and so started living a little bit below my means, not to live in poverty, but just to be like, oh, I can save and I can plan and I can invest. You know, I have all these stock. What is stock, Davey? Blah, blah, blah. And to really fill out my life like that too. Layoff proof 101. I also, during that time, did the most networking that I ever did. Okay. Um, I'm currently at my fifth company. And to be very frank with you, the only time that I've really applied for a job, like had to go on the internet and look for a job and press the buttons and oh, send all the resumes. And of course, the majority of them don't get seen mm-hmm. is my transition from my first job to Airbnb. Wow. And so during my Airbnb days, I really put in a lot of effort to networking. I was like, I want to meet all these people to a certain extent. I want them to like me. I'm not the kind of person that's going to do a whole lot for you to like me or not. Like I do have integrity and I'm a Capricorn, so I'm stubborn, don't care. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to do great work and I'm going to meet all these people. And it just so happened that I was at a startup. So therefore... I was with these amazing people who like did incredible things yeah. at their past companies. And then they would invite me to dinners and I would go, right? My transition from Airbnb to the next company, it was because someone at Airbnb knew someone at that company. Like you should talk to Lexi, right? Absolutely. My and it's another one. From that company to the next company, I cannot make this up. I met a woman at a happy hour between Airbnb and my third company. And we just started talking and laughing. And it turns out that, we vibed and that she had worked with a lot of people that I worked with at Airbnb who said decent. They were like, she's not crazy. or not, not a sociopath. Right. And we just stayed in touch. And I went to my next company. And I think in about two years, I was like, this ain't working out. I hit her up on LinkedIn thinking she's not going to respond. She responded. Yep. And that's yep. another thing to go in line with what you were saying at the beginning about applying for the jobs. You don't think you're qualified for. This is something else that people don't tell people from underrepresented groups is sometimes don't apply for the job at all. Yeah. Do enough networking that you never have to apply. I have a so. really good friend of mine named Kiana Shelton, and she always tells me, shout out to Kiana, she always tells me the real flex 
okay, for a black person is to never have to apply for a job. And she told me that about eight years ago, and I really keep that in my arsenal. And so I think that's important. So people say, how do you become layoff proof? You're not layoff proof. Companies are going to do what they want to do. There is no job that makes you layoff proof. Okay. But what you can do is one, make sure your money is in order. Start start having conversations about money. I grew up in a household and I'll be frank, I was upper middle class. No one ever talked to money about me. They were just like, save your money. That means nothing when you like shoes. Right. That means absolutely nothing, right? So start having strategic conversations about money and how you can invest your money, how you can get more bang out of your buck with the two and a half coins you have, because there is a way, okay? Start networking and building your network when things are peaceful. Mm -hmm. So when they're not, right? And then also thirdly and lastly, listen to that inner human inside you. I have never been at a company too late, right? Because something happens at work and I'm like, I don't have the verbiage or the language to explain why that doesn't make me feel good, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't. And I'm not saying that on that day I go get a new job, but on that day I start having a couple happy hours. (laughs) all right so i'm going to do my best to try and recap all the wisdom that you've given us lexi b it's a lot so i love this story about the black woman who is the computer scientist who started you on your way and i feel you inviting us to find the person in our sphere the people in our sphere where we can have those same transformative conversations with and i have also here apply for the job even yeah. if you don't feel you perfectly match all the qualifications, even if it says MA preferred and you haven't gotten your BA yet, your BS yet, apply for the job. And once you're there, give up perfection. It's going to be messy. Figure it out. Improvise it. Wing it because everyone else is doing the same thing. <laughs> Elevate others while you're there. Get a financial advisor to help with like therapy in reverse, like, hey, what yes. kind of life do you want? Yes, therapy that will help you. <laughs> that will, <laughs> what kind of life do you want? That will help you figure out what kind of jobs you want, but also being layoff proof as much as possible with networking, with saving so that you can have a key to the psychological safety. Part of it is creating the environment for the organization to create psychological safety, but there is a certain amount that we have to do to listen to our inner human, to save up in times of peace so that we can have psychological safety. We're like, this organization isn't it. I have the flexibility, the savings, the networking and connections to transfer to someplace that is. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lexi V, for joining us. Um, I don't even have the words to explain how grateful we are for this conversation and the time that you spent yes. And while our listeners are still here, how can they get in touch with you? If they want to learn more about Lexi B or hear more from Lexi B, yeah. if they want to attend the live coffee chats with you, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you. So if you go to my website, www.lexib.com, you can sign up for the newsletter that we just, that we just soft launched yesterday. And it basically gives you the schedule for every month for our live coffee chats that are weekly on LinkedIn audio talking, you know, me interviewing and having a fireside chat with a phenomenal leader from all parts of the world about one of the many lessons they learned in order for them to get to where they are today. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And we'll be sure to add all of your contact information to our show notes so everyone will have access to them. Yes. Thank you. Have a good one. And we're so glad to all of you 
who tuned in to this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact Podcast. We need more people to help us uplift the impact. And in order to do so, be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder, Tamira Ramsey, and Deanna Singh. Until next week, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.